You are listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church in Louise, Texas. Thank you for listening. Never mind, go ahead and sit down. We'll just start with the service, with the message. How's that sound? I don't know what's going on. Anyway, all right. So if you've not been with us for the few we- the last few weeks, um, we've been going through a sermon series that I've titled Types and Shadows, Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. We've been looking at Old Testament pictures of Jesus to come so that we can get a broad picture of the fact that from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is in the Bible. So this is, gives a, so the Old Testament gives us glimpses of what the Savior would look like. We looked at that in the form of Adam, and we've looked at Noah, and we've looked at um, Joseph. We looked at Abraham and Isaac, the sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22. And today we're going to look at another one. But So God, from the beginning of the Bible, is giving us key characters and key events and key things that he wants us to see that are projecting towards something greater. And that something greater is Jesus. So the story of the Bible is a unified one that points us to the redeeming work of Jesus. And that's what this series was dedicated to do, was to help us to see Jesus in the Old Testament. If you're interested in finding more or you've not heard the sermons before, you can listen to them on our Facebook page or Spotify. We've got a playlist or a podcast. Uh, you just look for First Baptist Church Louise. It'll be there, and it'll take you back to the last six weeks. So if you want to get caught up, if you don't, that's fine too, but they're available for you. Um, but today we're going to look at another foreshadowing of Jesus. Another picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And it's going to be through the man, Moses. So we're going to look at Moses this morning. The story of Moses is a miraculous story. That is one of the reasons that he's so revered by Christians and Jews and people all over the world. He had a special relationship with God. He had communion with God. Moses was chosen by God to do great deeds. And it all began with his birth. In the first chapter of Exodus, we read about the fact that Abraham's descendants had been in Egypt for 400 years. After Israel had taken his family down there, they lived there for 400 years. They had moved there during the famine of Joseph's time. But over time, things started to turn from good to bad and from bad to worse for the Israelite people. Kings had changed, and those that knew Joseph or knew about Joseph had died off. But at the same time, God was blessing the Israelites. They were increasing in number. And in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, we read that, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. They were being very fruitful. They were multiplying greatly. They were fulfilling the mandate that God had given them. And God was fulfilling the promise that he had made to Abraham. But the new leadership in Egypt didn't like the fact that there were so many of them. There were too many Israelites, and they were viewed as a potential threat. And so in Exodus chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we read from the Pharaoh's mouth, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. So the Israelite people, because of the blessing of God and the evilness and wickedness of Pharaoh, were enslaved. They were forced to work. They were forced to build cities for Pharaoh. They were oppressed by Pharaoh and his government. 
This oppression and enslavement only increased God's blessings on the Israelites. And in chapter 1, verse 12, we read, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were, dread, were in dread of the people of Israel. No matter how much pressure was put on them, they continued to be fruitful and multiply. They continued to grow in number. From Pharaoh's point of view, something needed to be done. Something had to be done to stomp out these people. So he came up with a solution. We're going to kill the firstborn male of the Israelites. He figured that if he couldn't oppress them out, of, out into oblivion, he would go ahead and murder them. So Pharaoh tried to conspire with the Israelite midwives to commit this evil act. And in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the burstal, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, the midwives were not up to that. They loved God. They, want, they didn't want to listen to the Egyptian king. And God continued to bless his people. And he continued to bless the midwives. And the king was upset because these midwives weren't doing what, the, that, what he wanted them to do. And the Hebrew, the Hebrew people just kept growing and growing and growing. So then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, if you see a male, throw them in the Nile River. In Exodus 1.22 it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And this leads us to the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 2. Moses was born under this tyrannical king, but Moses' mama was smart. She's a smart mama. For three months she hid Moses and she nursed Moses until she couldn't hide him anymore. And then she puts him in a basket and he, she floats him down the Nile River. But she chooses a perfect time to do that because that's when Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath in the Nile River. So she sends Moses down the river and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. The daughter of Pharaoh saves Moses from death. And even better than that, once she gets back to the palace, she's like, I need somebody to nurse this child. So what does she do? She ends up calling the mom back to nurse Moses, to, to raise Moses. But Moses grew in the house of the Pharaoh, and he became a prince of Egypt. He had all the access to the treasures of the king. He was in a special relationship with royalty. He was a boy that would one day rule if he continued to quietly obey, if he continued to listen and obey. But there was a restless, restlessness in his bones. There was a broken connection between his adoptive family and his true family. So one day he left the palace and his whole life changed. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, we read this. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out into his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he stuck, struck down the Egypt, Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince or judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest in Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. 
when they had come home to their father Raoul, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So the first thing we see is Abraham or Moses as an exiled prince. Moses was brokenhearted over the treatment of his people, and Moses murdered an Egyptian for beating an Israelite. Then he hid them in the sand. Not a good place to hide a body, right? Sand blows away. You've you got to find something better, Moses. So, but his deed did not go unnoticed, right? There were those who witnessed what Moses had done. In fact, he went out to try to correct some of his brothers, and they asked him and they confronted him, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? So Moses gets afraid. He's like, oh no, no good deed goes unpunished. His deeds have been made no. So what does he do? He runs away. He runs away. Moses is chased out of the palace and out from his people because of his brashness and because of his inability to control himself. Moses killed a man for harming his kinfolk. Moses' murder people, Moses' people were afraid of him because he was a murderer. And the king was angry because Moses' action. And rather than face judgment, Moses fled into the land of Midian, and he met his wife, Zipporah. And for 40 years he lived in that desert. He lived as a shepherd, tending his father-in-law's sheep. Meanwhile, the Israelites in Egypt were struggling under the weight of the oppression. They were struggling, but God doesn't forget about them. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, we see, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God hears the cry of his people, and he decides that now is the time to act, and he chooses Moses. Moses doesn't know he's chosen yet. So meanwhile, Moses is out doing what shepherds do. Day after day, night after night, he's attending his father-in-law's sheep. And one night, like any other night, something amazing happens. Moses was tending the sheep near a mountain, and he sees a bush that's on fire. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, we read, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of the fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is a bush not burned? Moses' curiosity was piqued. So he turns to look at the bush, and God calls out to him. And he says, when the Lord saw him, he turned aside to see. God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God then tells Moses that he has heard and he has seen the affliction of his people. 
and he's heard the cries of his people and the torment that they have endured. And he's going to respond by calling Moses to go and deliver his people from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. But Moses still isn't sure that he's the right man for the job. He is reluctant to do what God wants him to do. And so in verse 11 of chapter 3 we read, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So Moses is now a reluctant prophet. God reveals to Moses his name, and he reveals to Moses his nature, God establishes the fact that he is God and he can save, that he is God and that he is going to deliver, and God, that God hears and sees the pain of his people. But Moses doesn't feel qualified to be the deliverer. He doesn't believe that the people will listen to him. But God reassures him that it isn't about Moses' qualifications or his past, but it's about the work of God. It's about God doing a work. In fact, God gives Moses three signs that will help to convince the people to follow him. And you can read about these in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. But the first sign is Moses' staff. When Moses, is, Moses throws his staff on the ground, it turns into a snake. And when he picks it back up, it turns back into a staff. The second one is when Moses puts his hand in his cloak and he pulls it out, it's going to be leprous. And then when he puts it back and pulls it back out, there's not going to be leprosy anymore. And then finally, God tells him, if those signs don't work, you can go to the Nile and you can draw water from the Nile and it will become blood when you pour it out. But even with these signs and the promise from God that Moses is going to be the one to deliver him, Moses is still unwilling and he's unconvinced that he is the right man for the job. So he begs God to send someone else. But God refuses. Instead, he says, okay, Moses, you don't want to go alone. Take your brother Aaron with you. And you will go talk to Pharaoh together. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and they ask him to let their people go. And if they do, if they don't, if he doesn't let them go, then things are going to get bad for Pharaoh and his people. And so in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, we read, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell the Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. So Moses has been the chosen deliverer by God to bring out God's people from oppression from enslavement. But Pharaoh doesn't want to give up his workforce. He doesn't want to let these people go. He doesn't want to free them because it'll show his weakness that he's weak and that his productivity in that work world will go down. In fact, after Moses' first visit with Pharaoh, things get worse for the Israelites. 
Pharaoh oppresses them even more by doubling their workload. Pharaoh wants to demonstrate and prove that he is the one in charge, that he is God over Egypt. But God has made a promise that he is going to deliver, that he is going to deliver his people, and he will do so by showing that Pharaoh isn't who he thinks he is, but God is who he says he is. One thing we need to know is that going into this section, Pharaoh thought that he was a god. He thought he was deity. And not only did he think that he was God, but the people worshipped him as a god. That he was the incarnation of one of the Egyptian gods, Horus. And Horus was a god of the sun and the god of war and the god of protection. Pharaoh was believed to be a god because he had power and authority over one of the largest and most powerful nations in the world. In fact, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh shows that he has no reverence for the God of Israel at all. It says this in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh doesn't respect or acknowledge Yahweh as Lord, so he will not listen to his voice. He will not listen to what he says. And so Pharaoh's arrogance, ego, and pride keeps him from recognizing God and that Moses represents him. Pharaoh's refusal to listen to God will bring about ten plagues that will affect the country and his people. And you can read about all ten of these plagues in Exodus chapter 7 through 12. I'm just going to list them there for you today. These ten plagues are the first one, the Nile River turns to blood. Secondly, there's an overabundance of frogs in the land. Then swarms of gnats, like South Georgia, infest the area. There's an infestation of flies, of pestilence, boils on humans and animals, heavy hail and fire, fire destroying plants and animals and people, massive swarms of locusts, three days of darkness, and then finally, the death of the firstborn. And these plagues were meant to demonstrate the fact that God, Yahweh, had power over all the earth. That as high and mighty that as Pharaoh thinks he is, God is still more powerful. And even after each plague, when Pharaoh was offered a chance to acknowledge God for who he was, he neglected to do so. Which ultimately led to God wiping out the firstborn of everything in Egypt. Much like the Pharaoh had tried to do to the Israelite people when Moses was born, wiping out the firstborn. There's not one person who has ever lived that is outside or above the power of God. No matter how much money, how much fame they have, how much arrogance they have, they're not outside the power of God. No matter how much we think that we're in control over our own lives, you are not outside the purview. God. And that's demonstrated here, that no matter how much Pharaoh wanted to try to keep the Israelites enslaved, it was completely outside of God's will. So Pharaoh was made to bow to God's will. And finally, God's people were able to escape the tyranny of Egypt. They fled from Egypt, but they were chased by Pharaoh and his army. God intervened and destroyed Pharaoh's army and guided his people out of slavery and into deliverance. And when the Israelites were set free, they were called to the desert, specifically a mountain where God revealed himself to all of them. And he told Moses in chapter 19, verses 4 and 6 of Exodus, 
You yourselves shall have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. On this mountain, God reveals himself to the Israelites. God makes himself known, not just to Moses, but to all his people, that they are supposed to be set apart for him. And he gives them rules and he gives them guidelines on how to live, worship, and operate as a community and as God's people, as a kingdom of priests. God reveals these instructions through Moses to his people. Moses brings the law to the people of God. The Ten Commandments in chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, we read, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who loved me and kept my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the sea, heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that in your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So we see Moses here as the lawgiver. Moses meets with God and God reveals to him the law that he wants his people to live by. This is a historical marker in the life of the Israelites. The law is what's going to set them apart from all the other nations. That's what's going to make them holy and separate, is obeying the law that God has revealed to them. But no sooner do they receive the law than they abandon and turn their back on God. They witness the power of God over Egypt. They see the glory of God on the mountain. They hear the voice of God through the law that is given, and yet they still move away from the goodness of God. You see, Moses is receiving the instructions from God, and the Israelites start building a golden calf to worship. They are breaking the first two commandments after they have seen God in his goodness, after they had witnessed his power, after they had heard his voice, and this angers God. And let's pump the brakes a little bit on blaming these guys. We do the same thing, where we see the goodness and the holiness of God and his grace on our lives, and we turn away from that, and we start worshiping things rather than the Creator. But Moses acts as an intercessor between God and man. He intervenes on behalf of the people of Israel. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 30 and 32, we see this. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. 
So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses is interceding for the people. He's coming in between God and the people. Moses even offers up his own life and says, if you're going to destroy these people, destroy me with them. He would rather sympathize with them than to watch them perish. Moses identified himself with the people that God saved. If God were going to blot out his people, Moses wanted to go with them. Moses didn't just intercede for the people on this occasion, but when they were hungry in the desert, Moses went to God, and God rained down manna from heaven. When the Israelites needed water as they wandered through the desert, Moses asked God, and the water was provided for them. When they were unhappy with the manna, Moses told God, and God provided quail for them to eat. Moses went between God and man so that man would be provided for, so that the Israelites would be provided for in deliverance, in sustenance, and in forgiveness. As we see through this brief overview of Moses' life, he was used mightily by God. Mighty works happened in Moses' life. He was rightly revered by God's people. In fact, again, he is revered by Christians and Jewish people alike, as he should be. But we also know that he had flaws. Though he was used to do the miraculous, he also had problems. He was not perfect. He was not good enough to provide for the people, all that they needed to enter into the promised land. Though he is a good example of what it looks like to listen to and to obey God, he isn't the perfect example. In fact, the Israelites were looking forward to a greater prophet than Moses. We read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. We read this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. Verse 18, I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. There's one greater to come and that one greater has come. His name is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, we read this, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you, will, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house built is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So the one greater is Jesus. Moses paints a picture of what the Messiah is going to look like. Because Moses wasn't good enough to be the true Savior. Many of the events in Jesus' life mirror those of the Moses story. And this is to point to the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses. Like Moses, Jesus had to flee from a king that wanted to kill innocent infants. 
In Matthew chapter 2, verse, one, verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been stricken by the wise men, been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So Herod is trying to destroy the infants. Moses was a prince of Egypt that had access to all the beauty and the glory of kingship, but he left it all to save God's people. Jesus also left his royal throne, his kingly throne, and came to save God's people. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Moses also performed miracles through the power of God to prove that he was called by God. Well, Jesus performed miracles that proved that he was the Son of God, and that all authority and power had been given to him. Moses came to deliver people from slavery in Egypt. Jesus came to deliver people from their sin. Matthew one twenty one: She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. After leaving Egypt, the Israelites wandered around the desert, and they were hungry. They were probably Baptists. And God miraculously provided for them manna from heaven. And this bread offered them sustenance. But Jesus tells us in John chapter 6 that he is the bread that offers life. He says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Not only was Jesus the bread from heaven, but Jesus also brought a new commandment, like Moses brought the commandments from God. In John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you would love one another. We are to love one another. Not only that, but Jesus also fulfilled the law, knowing that we were unable to accomplish it perfectly. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus fulfills the law. But then Jesus also intercedes for us, meaning that like Moses, Jesus speaks to God on our behalf. Every time we sin, every time we stumble, every time we need forgiveness, Christ stands there and talks to the Father on our behalf. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? who indeed is interceding for us. But Jesus did what Moses never could do. He provides the perfect covering, the perfect atonement for our sin. Moses may have pled with God for the forgiveness of the people, but they were still going to be judged for the disobedience. But Jesus took on our sin, and he took on our shame. He took on our faults, and he took on our flaws and our failures, and he took on our rebellion and our disobedience. And because he took that on, we can now be put on the righteousness of Jesus. 
as he advocates for us. 1 John 2, 1-2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. As God, as good as Moses was, Jesus is infinitely better. And that's the good news of the gospel, that good isn't good enough. Perfection was needed. And Jesus is the perfect, holy, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that took our place and endured the wrath of God on our behalf. Moses was good, but Jesus is better. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know the life that can be found in him. He wants you to know the freedom that can be found in him. He wants you to love and to trust him. He wants to deliver you from your sin and from your shame. He wants to save you from your bondage to sin. He wants to know you. He wants to redeem you. And he will hear you if you cry out to him. If you cry out to him, he will hear you. He is offering salvation today if you follow after him. So the question is, are you going to follow him? Are you going to trust Jesus? Are you going to let him set you free? Or are you going to trust in yourself and end up falling short? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that he came and he suffered a death he didn't have to suffer. Thanks for listening. To find out more information about our church and ministries, visit fbclouise.com.